Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano. Welcome everyone to Sports Spectrum. I am Jason Romano. Today's episode is sponsored by Compassion International. Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum is the website. I want to encourage you to check it out. Go there. You'll see a list of children waiting to be released from poverty. And what an honor and a privilege it is for us, my wife, my daughter, myself, Dawn and Sarah and me, to be able to sponsor a child through Compassion. It's $38 a month. We sponsor a 13-year-old boy from Haiti, and it really is the best money we spend every month because we know it's going to help a child in need. Food, education, medical care, and vocational training, all done in the name of Jesus. Over 66 years of experience, Compassion International gets it. They've been sharing Jesus with every child, partnering with over 7,000 churches in 25 countries, over 2 million children, known, loved, and protected because of the work with Compassion. They do it right. They're the most trusted child development ministry in the world. Sponsor a child today. Consider it. Pray about it. $38 a month. Go to Compassion.com slash Spectrum and consider releasing a child from poverty today. Today on the podcast, one of my favorite interviews we've done with former Navy SEAL, the first Navy SEAL we've ever had on the podcast, Nick Hayes. Nick is the author of a new book called Elite, High Performance Lessons and Habits from a Former Navy SEAL. This guy has the goods. Bronze Star recipient, Harvard Business School postgrad, CIA contractor, pro sports consultant. He's also a husband and a dad to three kids. Nick Hayes is the man, and I learned so much from Nick just listening to him answer the questions I asked in this podcast, and he's lived a pretty crazy life. He served his country proudly as a Navy SEAL for 10 years, awarded the Bronze Star, and after leaving the Navy, worked as a contractor in the Middle East while attending business school at the University of San Diego, and then writing this book, and now going out and encouraging others, teaching others about the elite program, High Performance Lessons and Habits from a former Navy SEAL. This guy is legit. Take a listen to our conversation with Nick Hayes on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Nick, thank you for your service, first of all, and welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Jason. You're too kind, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming. And you wrote this book, Elite, High Performance Lessons and Habits from a Former Navy SEAL. You're the first Navy SEAL we've had. We've had so many different variety of people on this podcast, mostly mostly athletes and coaches, but it's great to have a former Navy SEAL on here. Um, first of all, let's start with the book. Share with us more about, about the book and why you decided to write it, what it's about, all that. Right. Well, I'd been in the public speaking space for a little while and, um, you know, I had a message that I wanted to share as, as broadly as I could. And, you know, the problem with speaking is that you have to be in the room, you know, you're limited by air travel and everything else and, and time. So being able to put it into a product that can be distributed, um, gave me a lot of joy. It's something that I knew I needed to do. You and I have a, a shared mentor and someone who, um, yeah. you know, helped kind of give me a, the kick in the pants that I needed to move forward with that. Um, because I'll be honest with you, like I was scared 
out of everything I've done in my life, and I've, I've jumped out of airplanes and done all kinds of stupid stuff, but I was more scared of writing the book, <laughs> I think, than anything else I had done. Um, because you're vulnerable. You put your words out there. Um, you're a little bit vulnerable. And then in addition to that, coming from a special operations background, um, you know, a, a SEAL writing a book can be somewhat polarizing, mm. you know, for the guys that are still in the military. So was that something you were cognizant of in terms of, cause the book isn't necessarily a tell all book about your time at the Navy SEALs. It's, it's lessons and habits that you learned from a Navy SEAL. Obviously there's stories in there, but were you really aware that you didn't want to go in there and just be a telling all and throwing things on, throwing people under the bus and, and, you know, bringing out negativity in any form or fashion? Yeah, that was one of my biggest things is like, hey, I'm not going to talk about any like training tactics, procedures type stuff. Um, then ultimately, I wanted to stand on its own merit. That's that's something that I really believe in. You know, am I a former Navy SEAL? Yes, 100%. That's real. But I also contracted in the Middle East for a long time. Um, you know, I also went to business school, went to Harvard, like all this other really cool stuff. And I don't feel that I, I needed to be a SEAL to necessarily do that. Sure. Um, but the person like Nick Hayes is the person who became the SEAL. Nick Hayes is the person that was able to go to, you know, some educational programs and stuff like that. Like who is Nick Hayes without the Trident? And that's something that we can get into a little bit more later. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. Just like I picked up my first, you'll like this. I picked up my first stand up comedy routine. Hmm. Um, okay. I, I had a buddy kind of push. I always talk about being comfortable, being uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Doing something that challenges you and, and pushes you. Um, and if you're uncomfortable, if you're frustrated, or I mean, if you're like intimidated by something, then it's a good indicator that you should probably do that something hmm. you're intimidated for a reason and you're going to grow if you do it. Um, for me, I was looking at this and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm nervous to pick up a mic and be nothing but funny. That that's scary, man. <laughs> but that fear, that intimidation that I felt, I, that kind of draws me in. I'm like, check. So I need to do it. So I hit up a buddy of mine and he gave me the guy who books at the comedy store in Beverly Hills. So my first stand-up comedy set is <laughs> at the comedy store, which is such a cool venue. Hmm. Um, and I'm going to do it just because I want to be uncomfortable. I want to try something new. I want to see if I can stand on my own two feet. You know, I was talking to a buddy of mine and he asked me, he goes, Hey, are you going to tell him that, that you're a seal? And I said, you know what, if I do, then they'll give me grace. If I'm not that funny, well, at least they're not going to heckle because they know there's other seals in the audience. Um, you know, like everything I can talk about stories from that time of my life that were really funny that people will connect with and engage with. But on the other hand, I won't know if I'm funny. I won't know if I'm good. Right. I, I think I'd rather get up there and just tell jokes, you know, hmm. kind of, for the same reason my, my book is in, uh, you know, business and finance category. It's in, uh, you know, business coaching, it's in self-help, you know, it's not in, you know, Afghanistan war story or whatever, you know, whatever that segment Mil is. Military or whatever. Yeah. Military history. Yeah, exactly. So I'm having fun with it. I'm, I'm just having fun seeing, Hey, what's next? Like when I turn the page and keep writing, you know, when I'm looking out the, the, the windshield of the vehicle, I'm driving down the road, reading and reacting. I wonder what's next. I wonder what's coming. Tell us about growing up. I read in your book that you moved around a lot as a kid and that affected you. Tell me a lot about, uh, or tell us a little about what it was like growing up and just your background. Right. Yeah. I, um, people always ask me if I was a military brat, but 
you know, it was actually worse. My dad was in retail, so we didn't even have like a two year contract to stay put. So we moved around and he was kind of a store fixer, really good manager. Um, so he could, he could turn the numbers around for a store and the company that he was with was slowly dying. So he, it kept us on the road. Um, the reason I think I moved like 14 times before graduating high school, some ridiculous, maybe it's 12, some ridiculous. And, uh, I learned a couple of things along the way, you know, it, it was an interesting experience because when you have a life, you have your friends, you have your sports team, you have your coach, you have your teachers that you enjoy. And then you get ripped away from that and you break into a new place that not only is there a question mark on every one of those spots, it's also an entirely different culture. People don't talk the same. People don't dress the same. Um, you're an outsider coming in. And I think developmentally that forces the individual to develop some uh, defense mechanisms. Mm. Like for me, I knew that breaking into a new spot, all I had to be was funny. If I, if I could make them laugh, then I was going to be okay. That would buy me time to get on the sports team and, and then make my little band of brothers. And I ran that playbook over and over. I, I played three seasons of sports um, for, for the most part growing up. And I would break in, get my tribe, and then I would neutralize people with comedy. And that was really important for me because I'm small. Mm. I'm a small guy. Like you hear my resume and you're like, dude, this guy must be a mongoloid. But no, I'm like, I'm like five foot five. <laughs> you know, like I could pretty much carry the ring to Mount Doom and return it to the fires from once it came. I'm, I was cast for the role. Very good on the Lord of Rings, Lord of the Rings uh, analogy there. I like that. <laughs> Thanks. I'm a nerd. <laughs> it was between that or a Tyrion Lannister. Uh, Joe. Absolutely. No, that's good. So, so moving around a lot as a kid, it teaches you lessons. It teaches you how to kind of adapt to different situations. And eventually as you get to high school, you start to think about the future and it ends up taking you to the military and joining the Navy. Tell me about the, the process of deciding to do that. Um, I'm guessing there's a lot of things going on in the world that probably influenced that decision. Tell us about making that decision to go into the military. Sure. So, you know, ultimately I was in Olive Branch, Mississippi at the time, which is pretty much Memphis. I mean, it is Memphis. It's, it's attached to it. And I was going to go down to, to Ole Miss. One reason I had stayed put now, keep in mind, I had two of my best friends from Tucson when I was in Tucson already joined the Navy, already go through SEAL training. And they were new guys at their, at their first platoon, um, on the East coast. So you know, they're like brothers to me. I had planned on joining the military, but I wanted to go to college first. You know, I'm in Olive Branch, Mississippi. I was starting to go down a road that could have been problematic, but I had the benefit of a really good friend of mine. Um, his name is Andy Taylor. He got me to church. So I had grown up in mm. church. Yep. But for me, that's exactly how you'd say it. You know, I'd grown up in church and I went to church, but it was, it was that. Yeah. Um, so when Andy brought me to, to his church, I ended up making a tremendous group of friends and really building something there. And that's when I, I developed a real relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I tend to be somewhat obsessive with things and I, I'll go full bore, you know, so, uh, I'm walking, I'm walking with Jesus now and I get licensed in the ministry 
in the Southern Baptist Church. I get licensed when I'm 18. Wow. So I can marry and bury. Yeah. <laughs> marry and bury. That's I've going all in, man. That's going all in. Oh, I went all in, bro. I started a worship team. I started leading worship and, you know, had a band that I'm traveling around with. Really built built a nice a nice life. And, and it, it, even though I had wanted to join the military, that was appealing to me. And I, I really liked what I was doing. And I also saw it as a battle of sorts, you know, um, though it be an ideological one. It's one that I was prepared to to fight in a, a cool direction. But when we invaded Iraq in, in March 2003, yeah. um, I was at Ole Miss going down this other direction. And I realized that my best friends from Tucson, like this was a real thing. You know, we'd been in Afghanistan, but I was like, man, this is going to be a real thing. And uh, so I dropped out of college immediately and went to the recruiter's office and, and told them that I wanted to go in. I wanted to be a seal on my contract. And this recruiter probably saw this short guy with his freshman 15 walk in there and say he wants to, to be a team guy. And he just laughed at me. He did not take me seriously. And, you know, talking to him, he got me into this contract that was um, not a good contract. It, it was for a job that I didn't really care to do, but it was actually a job that disqualified me from going to SEAL training. So he lied. Oof. And he told me, no, you can, you can screen for it when you go to boot camp. Everything's good to go. He lies to me. You know, I sign his papers, walk out feeling like a million bucks, and I call my buddies who are already SEALs. I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll be there soon. And they were like, dude, let me look at your contract. And they told me that I had been taken. So mm. I realized that my entire life was about to be derailed because one person had some hard fill billets that he needed to fill. So, you know, lie, cheat and steal your way through that. Right. Yeah. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I, I said, Hey, I got to become an expert in this. I got to learn all things, um, about this process and, and recruiting and, and everything about it. So I learned that, um, you're not actually in the Navy until you show up to boot camp. So everything he was telling me was lie. He had no power over me. Hmm. Um, and then two, I learned that if you, if you got a tattoo within a certain amount of days of shipping out to boot camp, then they'd have to delay your, your time. <laughs> so I went down to Beale street in Memphis and got the first of what would be many tattoos. And I got a cross on my back hmm. and I came in and I told the recruiter, I was like, boom, you got to rewrite my contract anyway. You're going to do it with my buddies. They're going to tell you exactly what needs to be in the contract. And then I'll go. So I, I had to play a really hard hand just to get into the Navy, just to go to SEAL training, just to get a spot. Wow. Um, I had to push that hard, man. And I learned a couple of things. You know, I learned that, hey, if someone, if someone says you can't do it, like that just means that you don't need them to do it. There's going to be other ways to get around this barrier. You know, anytime there's a roadblock, you can go around it, you can go above it. You could just bash your head through it <laughs> if, if you'd like, mm -hmm. which tends to be my strategy. But, um, that was a really valuable lesson. I wasn't going to let someone derail where I knew I needed to be. So, you know, I got into, got in SEAL training and BUDS was, was real. It's a, BUDS is basic underwater demolition school. It's, um, the selection portion of, of SEAL training and it's, it's legit. It's real. It's everything that you expect. You know, share, like I share what it, what it is. Cause it's funny, Nick, I was just having this conversation at a cookout 
a couple days ago with some buddies of mine who were talking about not even knowing that I was going to be interviewing you. And I was blown away with some of what I had heard just from my buddies and how that training goes about. Can you share when you say it's real? Maybe there's people out there that already know this, but I didn't really know what this entailed. And it's heavy duty. Yeah, it really is. It's like seven months or so of uh, including Indoc, but six months that are really challenging of breaking dudes down and and seeing who's going to quit and then building them back up a little bit, you know, and, and teaching you a few things, six months long, it's, you're going to start with like 200 people and you're going to graduate 20 something. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. And then after that, you start learning actual seal stuff. So you start actually training after this program. Right. But up front, yeah, that's what it is. And I, I think, you know, to break it down, you get most of those quitters in, in hell week. So mm-hmm. relatively quickly to getting to that program, Um, You go through something called hell week, which is five and a half days of not sleeping at all. You're up working the whole time. You're you're carrying telephone poles with your, you know, seven best friends (laughs) doing the crazy workouts, running everywhere with a boat on your head. Mm. You, they say that you put on about 200 miles during that week. You're laying down on, in, in the freezing cold Pacific (laughs) ocean, um, on the border, you know, borderline hypothermic the whole time. It's just... It's really intense. And there's certain times when they'll mess with you too, you know, like put you on the beach as the sun's going down and, you know, march you slowly to the water to where you're going to get in the water and lay down on your back. You know, it's going to be a long, cold night and and people start quitting. They drop like flies. Mm -hmm. Typically on, on like Monday, it starts on a Sunday early in the week when it's still all in front of you. Um, that's when people tend to to walk away. And I think one of the reasons why I was successful with that program was, wasn't that I was some, you know, genetic mongoloid or anything else. It's, I had been wanting to do it my entire life. I, the first time I visited, um, the, the schoolhouse where it was, I think I was like 13 years old. I actually went there, walked on the quarter deck and asked for a tour, you know, like, when I was sitting there smelling those smells, feeling the, you know, what I was feeling, I knew everything about the training. I felt so thankful to be there. I was so thankful to be where I was at, that there wasn't room for the kind of negativity that was degrading other people's experiences, you know? And I think that was the biggest, the biggest reason why I became one of those guys who successfully made it through, you know, what's considered the hardest military program in the world, specifically Hell Week. Um, because I, I was so thankful that I didn't have time to be scared or anything else. Um, so you never had any moment where you almost backed out? No, I never had any moment where I thought about quitting because I, I was, I was playing this scene in my head to where, you know, it's Friday afternoon. I just made it through Hell week. And then I call my brothers and tell them that I had just made it through. And I got, I got a chance to practice feeling that joy that when I'm running through that, um, story in my head on Monday with four more days ahead of me, I'm not thinking about how much time I have to go. I'm thinking about how, how sweet it's going to be. So it was like this visualization that I was able to use in my flow state, which was cool. Um, the performance psychs out there will know what I mean, but it worked. It kept me in a really positive place, man. Not to mention the guys that you're going through there with are phenomenal. (laughs) Like you don't want to let them down. Yeah. 
you know, they need you to perform. So you're doing it for them. You know, it's not even for you. Like you're doing it for them. You're working hard for them. You don't want to let them down. And they're all really tough guys. So the worse it gets, the harder it gets, the funnier the jokes become. Hmm. Levity is, is great. You know, levity helps you elevate yourself to the level of the situation. And in my case, you know, I had the, the Smurf crew. So all the little guys, because you have to be the same height because you're running around with telephone poles and stuff, right? Right. Um, so all the little guys are sitting down here losing every race, you know, never getting any of the benefits that come with winning. <laughs> Just, you know, like a buddy of mine even said, like, Hayes, there's freedom in losing all hope. <laughs> like, it just gets funny, and, and you keep slugging it out. And, uh, yeah, I, plus with time, you always remember the, the more positive stuff. Like I know it was, it was terrible, but I never thought about quitting. I was scared to death of not passing the timed evolutions mm. because every week you have to do a two-mile ocean swim, a four-mile timed run on the beach, and then an obstacle course. The obstacle course, I was made for that, like no drama. Um, but the swims I struggled with, I got ruled back. I got removed from my class. Um, and then had to start with the next class because I was such a poor swimmer. Mm. I got these little legs, you know, it was, uh, I I used to always try to fight the water and just fight the water and grind it out. And when, after I got rolled back, um, I had, uh, one of the buds instructors was a swim teacher and, he taught me to get long and smooth in the water. Stop fighting the water. Be easy. And I smoothed it out, you know, trying to look like a fish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happened, I became a swimmer. And I never failed another swim again because he taught me to get quit fighting it, get long and smooth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that was my biggest fear the whole time was not meeting the standard. You know, the standard is something that it's not a popularity contest. If someone doesn't meet the standard, they, they go away. Right. So wow. that that was my biggest fear. A couple, but, go ahead. Go ahead. No, nope, you go ahead. No, I, I'd rather hear your question. <clears throat> I was going to say you write in your book uh, that your nickname as a SEAL was Nick the Heart Haze, which I thought was fascinating because of your reputation for consistently having heart-to-heart conversations with your platoon mates. And I thought I'd take the, the step there going forward just in the reason for maybe being – so blunt, I guess is the right word or forthcoming and not beating around the bush and some of the conversations that you were able to have and why, why that was so important to you to just be transparent with the people you were talking to. Because I know that the reason you wrote that in your book was because that is a lesson and habit that maybe you learn from being a Navy SEAL that can help high performers. Tell me about Nick, the heart haze. That's awesome. Thank you for that question. I love even hearing that. That's, you know, you never give yourself a nickname. They always come to you. So when that came to me, I was like, yes, I like that. I mean, it's on my paddle sitting behind me, you know, that the team gave me. Yeah. Um, And it is twofold. You know, part of it is because of the conversations and the fact that um, like anytime we would be out as a platoon, it was a joke because somebody would start having a heart to heart with me, which is something that I love, you know. Um, and then later on, as you know, I had a dive accident that, um, required me to put a device in my heart to, Mm -hmm. to clog a hole. So after that, the name, the nickname was it. Like I was the heart for multiple reasons. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah, I think as far as a 
tip and trick of the elite man, something that you see elite people do is have the heart to hearts, is go deep in conversations. And, you know, a lot of times we get the most mileage out of the conversations that are the hardest to have. Mm -hmm. If there's a hard conversation, kind of taking it back to the beginning of the cast when we were talking about if you're intimidated by something, that's a good indication that you should probably do it. If there's a conversation that you know needs to happen, but maybe you don't like conflict or maybe you don't want to hurt the person or maybe you don't want them to make you so mad you're going to knock their head off. You know, whatever the reason is, you're intimidated to have this conversation. Well, you should, probably should. It's going to be something of, of epic reward. I think that's true for any team out there. If your teammates are willing to have hard conversations with you, then it will take your game to the next level. You will love each other more. You will experience true cohesion. You know, I think about, I'm a huge Spartan fan, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think about the, the Spartans, which, you know, we all saw 300, hopefully have read Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield, an amazing book. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it details the story of the 300 Spartans who um, clogged the, the gates of Thermopylae so the Persian Empire that was two million strong, we think, maybe more, um, wasn't able to take all of Greece. You know, in this conflict, you have the king, Leonidas, um, gets killed. And when that happens, all the city-states come together and join forces and actually defeat the, one of the most powerful empires in all of history. Beautiful story. Hmm. Um, and in, in Gates of Fire, Stephen Pressfield writes about how the phalanx works that that's their, their battlefield position. Um, if you imagine a bunch of guys standing shoulder to shoulder with their shields, what's, what's cool about this is that the shield doesn't protect you. The shield protects the person next to you. Mm. The person next to you, his shield protects you. And that's why it's such a strong formation because we're protecting the people next to us. You will fight harder when you're protecting the person next to you, right? Mm -hmm. You will trust your buddy if his shield is the only thing between you and the enemy's spears. How effective would the phalanx be? How effective would those shields be if instead of having our shields up and out towards the adversary, we had them towards each other because we didn't trust each other? Mm. And you see that on teams all the time to where the shields are facing each other and not downrange the direction that they belong. So that's, that's one thing that I was really, really proud of, that in the teams, whenever we, we were going out, people would always start telling me what, what's going on and, and what they're dealing with, and I would, I would do the same with them. They would have hard conversations with me. I would have hard conversations with them. Um, and I love it. Obviously, I want to protect the integrity of those conversations, but I think as an ideal, it's something that we should, um, we should strive to be. It's, it's, it's one of the things I'm most proud of. And there's a lot of things I'm not proud of that, you know, like in the past that are involved in just a, a growing man, you know, sure. yep. it's one of those bright shining moments that, that I love. I, love that. I will say, I will say that, you know, I talked about how my journey kind of started, um, with my faith Yes, and, and that was going to be the direction that I went. Well, I took a hard left, like how many licensed ministers <laughs> you know, become Navy SEALs? <laughs> Yeah. I would imagine it's not common. Um, it doesn't come up much in the old team room. That's but uh, what I realized was Bud's kind of, you know, SEAL training kind of broke me down and then built me back up in a way that was really interesting. And um, my time in the teams, 
I can admit this. I, uh, I think I kind of replaced God with the trident for some time. Mm. The trident is, is what we wear on our, our uniform. It's a beautiful thing that, that I have tremendous love and respect for and pride. I'm proud to wear it. Um, but I think it got borderline golden calf for me yeah. for a while. And it started, um, the ethos, the, the, you know, the seal mentality, the, the tribe, the culture became everything for me. I started living by that a hundred percent. And if that deemed it, it, it replaced my ethical lens, right? You know, in any, any given decision, especially in business school, yeah. but um, there's three lenses when you're making a decision. You have your, your legal lens, all things that are legal. Here's everything that you can get away with legally. It fits within this lens. And then you have a monetary lens. Well, here's every way that you can make money. Yep. Um, where that lens crosses with the legal lens is where the market is, right? But then you have this third lens, which is the ethical lens. Does it fit my ethics? Right. Where those three circles intertwine, well, that's a place that you can probably experience some longevity. Hmm. Like I said, as much as love and respect as I have for the community, um, I think for me, I was out of balance. I was out of alignment. Um, and I'm really glad that ultimately... Well, okay. So let me, I got out of the, out of the SEAL teams after about 10 years because yeah. I had, I had screened for a uh, contracting program in the Middle East. You know, I'd been doing a lot of frogman stuff, flying around a miniature submarine, you know, having a great time with that. But I really wanted to, to get to a certain place. And this was a way for me to do that. So I screened positive for this program. I got out of the Navy two weeks later, you know, I'm in Afghanistan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, going to business school at the same time, doing both was incredible, man. I I had a great time with that job. I loved it. Mm. Um, you know, there's a, there's a saying, I think there's a documentary out there that's called that, which I love will destroy me. I think that's a beautiful way of illustrating where I was mentally. I was having so much fun with it. Um, I was going down that road, you know, ultimately the, the trident had become my God and I'm just serving that. And then it got ripped away from me. Mm. This has happened time and time again to where my, my relationship with God is like a rubber band. I'll try to, I'll try to get away, but he just snaps me back. I don't have a choice. Like I'm his check. And this was one of those moments where I actually ruptured a disc in my, in my spine. Um, I was training for some MMA type stuff, you know? Yeah. And I ruptured a disc, had to come home, had to get a, a surgery, and, and it was over. I would never work with, with a gun again, and I had to redefine myself, hence where, where we are now. But you know, that was God's way of just saying, hey, this far but no further. I'm mm-hmm. snapping back. And it stings every time. I've seen him do it a couple times. But since then, I was able to get back in alignment and say, okay, well, like, who is Nick without the trident? Who is Nick with God? Right. Who is Nick moving forward? And when you realize, you know, I think any veteran who, or I think any coach even who like makes the transition and stops coaching, um, when you initially lose your purpose, like say you're going through retirement or something like that, when, when you lose your purpose, it's incredibly challenging, but yeah. it's an opportunity to redefine that purpose. And when you start looking at the future as a bunch of empty blank pages that you can write whatever you want. The past no longer matters. Like it's yours to create this future. It's for me, the most empowering moment of my life. 
it's the best thing that ever happened to me was hurting my back in Afghanistan by far best thing that God ever did for me. Nick, it's so interesting. And and we've talked to a lot of athletes on this podcast and so many of them will say to me that their lowest moment was the best thing that happened to them. And it's hard for me, for a lot of people to grasp that when they're going through it, it's usually something that through that lens that you describe, when we look back, we say, yeah, that was clearly what I needed to go through. Take me into the spiritual battle that you're walking through during that time. I know you kind of mentioned the rubber band analogy of going back and forth a little bit, but there's obviously, and we really didn't even talk about where your faith uh, took shape other than you going to a church with your friend. But tell me about some of the battles that you were going through spiritually with God, or maybe it wasn't even a battle and you weren't even wrestling. It was just kind of like, I'm on my own here and God's pulling you back. But take us through a little bit of that as we wind down and just trying to understand uh, where you are with God then, and maybe even take us to now and fast forward a little bit to where he's brought you to today. Yeah, I think, I think overall, um, to start with, I was just really close to God, you know, like you'll meet worship leaders who really know how to tap in. Um, and I was around those kind of people and it was just, it was great walking. And I, I did pray about it when I joined the military and, you know, he kept sending me to, to David and David's mighty man. And he's like, no, you're fine. Like, this is okay. Um, I'll allow it, you know, (laughs) one of those. Um, but then I got out of alignment and I started thinking that I was strong. I started thinking that I could do it without him. I started thinking that the views of my collective were somehow more important than what I knew to be true. Um, and it, it degraded my performance. I, I, I drank too much for a little while and that always has negative implications. Um, you know, I, I used to throw punches. I'm, I'm not proud of this and it's not something that I would ever mentor someone or, or advise them to do. I went through a violent spell. Um, I guess I just felt alone and, and didn't know how to, how to handle that paired with drinking. And I'm a part of a warrior culture. I would throw punches and, you know, somebody wants to shove around the little guy. Maybe there's a little bit of little man syndrome there too. I don't know. Um, but I just, I was just falling so far away from God. Um, I'm really fortunate that my wife who I met in seal training, um, stayed with me through that whole process. I think the divorce rates like 91% or something like that in the teams. And, uh, mine stayed with me even when I was kind of going down the rabbit hole. Granted, we always had a great relationship. Um, but that's, that's the key because my wife has such a strong relationship with God. She, you know, she grew up Catholic Mm -hmm. and I, I love, I love the Catholic faith and the way they do it. It's, it's incredible. But she um, was in graduate school in San Diego, and one of the people that she, – she's an actress, musical theater actress. Okay. And one of the people that she was there with introduced uh, her to his father, who was a preacher. And he started talking to her about how you can get past ceremony and really start to explore the benefits of relationship. Um, not necessarily going through someone else to communicate with God, but like you can do this here and now, you know? Yeah. and. And she, she loved, she loved it and she got on board and that's when I ended up meeting her at church in San Diego while I was at training. Um, I met her at a small group Bible study 
So mm-hmm. since then, she's just always been, I'm like a lightning bolt of lightning and she's like the ground, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So I'm so fortunate to have that. Um, and she's, she's patiently brought me, you know, full circle. Like when I was going through my violent spell, she told me, she was like, listen, maybe you should stop listening to heavy metal music. Like I'm not a neuroscientist, but maybe that'll help, you know? So I started listening to some softer music. I started doing breathing techniques. I started doing some, some meditation, a little bit of yoga, not enough. I mean, I'm still, as I'm saying that, I'm like, man, I, I need to do more. Yeah. Um, but specifically in that, in that time frame, it helped kind of help me level out. And then we found a really good church and got involved with the church. And I'm back with the, uh, with the community. It's good. Uh, love and life. Yeah. And now I, I like it. I like it because going through my prodigal son phase has helped me to really value what that relationship means. Like how does God still love us? I, I don't know. I just know it's true. The, the only way that I can really understand it is when I look at my children and I love them so much and there's nothing they could do to change that. Literally, literally nothing. Yeah. Um, and when I apply that, uh, that's the only way that I can understand, um, why God still loves me and still works with me and still blesses me so much, man. It's, it's incredible. That's good stuff there. It's Nick Hayes, the former Navy SEAL joining us on sports spectrum. I'll use that word sports here to pivot, uh, on the next question because you are in the sports world quite a bit, especially with the work you're doing now, working with pro sports teams, explain a little bit, I guess what the work that you're doing now is and how you would end up in an NBA team's locker room talking to members of that team, you know, or whatever sport you're talking to and just how you end up in, in working with professional sports teams with the work that you're doing. Check. Yeah. It started by a buddy, another steel buddy calling me and asking me if I'd join him. And then I had a knack for it. Grew up, grew up speaking, you know, yeah. um, I had a knack for it. So I just jumped in full bore. And ultimately what I, what I try to teach people is how do you develop a really strong culture? What is culture? It's something that, that we, we talk about all the time, but yeah, it's a buzzword. It's like this, it's a buzzword and people don't, don't even know how to define it. Yeah. It's like this magical thing, this elusive vapor in the wind that, you know, it was once a dream. You could but whisper it and then it was gone. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, that's how people talk about it. So how do we actually define what that is? And I like to take what happened in the SEAL teams that, that turned us from a bunch of awesome dudes to, you know, just a wrecking ball, you know, a Navy force doing all the big missions in, in, in the desert. It's crazy. Like, how does that even happen? Right. Um, I'll tell you how it happens is, is with culture and culture always starts with the standard. It is a standard. Um, one thing I've done with teams in the past is actually do a workshop to where we can start to define what the standard is going to be by using, um, junior people, people who just got to the team, maybe they're looking at stuff for the first time. Hmm. That bottom up feedback is just so powerful. Like in a seal platoon, the best ideas are always going to come from the new guy, you know? Yeah. Cause they're seeing it for the first time. So you empower them to, to start building that. Hey, here's what we are. Here's what makes us tick. And then once that gets ironed out into a legitimate standard, then you can start to hold people accountable and they created it. So when they, when they're not living up to the standards, you can always go to them, you know, as a coach, a leader, um, or a member of the team 
say, hey, you said you would do this. Here's where you said you would do it. We got to button this up. You're not cutting the mustard. You're not meeting the standard. So we hold each other accountable to the standard. And once that's done, the people within the, the influencers within that group, which you can also empower and, and uh, provide some leadership capability to carry that standard to fruition. Um, but those people start developing that air of culture around the standard. It is real. It's tangible. But the standard has to have muscle. you got to be able to flex on the standard. The right. standard is going to show you the difference between talent that has character and can be developed and talent without character, um, otherwise known as cancer, right? Yeah. I was just going to say talent without character is, and you just gave the answer. Yeah, so when you have someone who's consistently not meeting the standard and expecting their talent to carry them, um, they're not serving their brothers, um, they're not working for their sisters, they are in it for themselves, you know, it becomes really easy to see. And no matter how talented it is, what, what, what is cancer but a collection of cells outperforming the cells around them? Mm-hmm. And then other cells begin to emulate. And um, I'll tell you, like, I've been through major surgery. I know what it's like. Surgery sucks, man. Recovery is not easy. Yeah. It's better than dying of cancer. Right. And when you have a standard, it's easy to identify what that cancer looks like and show everyone else we're not going to stand for this. This isn't how we work. Hmm. Character is what we should strive for when we're evaluating people. You know, talent with character, man, is just unstoppable. And the character is going to come from these hard conversations. This entire developing a standard, this is a hard conversation, right? Yeah. Um, and that's where it comes from because it's unfair to expect other people to live up to an ideal standard that you haven't communicated with them. If they don't know what you consider character and yet you're judging them based on what you consider character, you're the one who's wrong. You have to communicate those expectations and norms. If you're, if the leader has to develop and incentivize appropriately ethical behavior for the context to be ethical. It's, it's a leader's job. It's a trickle down. And it starts with communicating what that is. So if you bring the junior people into the process to help develop the standard, man, it's just, it's a powerful thing. Now I just kind of gave, gave, gave away the answer there, gave away the secret, but I can uh, clip the whole thing out if you want, Nick. <laughs> no, let's put it on blast. Absolutely. I, I wish that everybody understood kind of how that works. Cause I saw it take our community and completely transform it. Mm. Um, how has it worked within sports teams that you've seen, the, the teams that you've gone into, professional teams? If you can name some of the teams, great. If you can't, totally cool. But like, how have you seen this play into a football team or a basketball team trying to define and develop this culture that you just mentioned? Yeah, I'm not much of a name dropper, so it's tough for me to, to right. do this, but, but I will. I will. Um, you're not name dropping if you're asked which teams you are working with, right? <laughs> good point good point, good point. Um, <laughs> so yeah ultimately went in there with the atlanta falcons with some buddies of mine and um we did this whole process worked on the standard built the brotherhood um you know a little bit in otas a little bit in training camp and then sustained throughout the season yeah. actually was on the on the sidelines which was really cool um awesome. and worked with them on their super bowl run they went to the super bowl that year yeah I remember the game. Unfortunately, it didn't end well. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things where uh, 
it's like halftime. I think it was like 28 to three or something like that. And I remember calling my dad being like, Hey, it worked, man. Like we did it. We did it. <laughs> and then Tom Brady showed up with a horde of angels in the second half and performed a miracles. Uh, Tom Brady. Oh no. Walking on water. <laughs> Unbelievable. How good that comeback was, but that doesn't take away from what happened with Atlanta and in the season that they were able to accomplish that year. And that's pretty awesome that you're able to work with, with different teams and develop in their culture and just kind of implementing some of the skills. Let's close with the last couple questions here as we wind down, Nick. The book, again, is called Elite, High Performance Lessons and Habits from a Navy, a former Navy SEAL. It's out now. You can buy it everywhere. Encourage our listeners, Nick, here. You've done a good job with that already. But I think there's listeners who um, tune into this podcast. We get a lot of coaches, a lot of parents, people who might be struggling in their lives with being elite, whatever that means, whether it's work or home, spiritually, in, in their athletic, you know, sphere of influence, whatever that looks like, encourage them. What would you say to them, those that are just struggling right now with that whole idea, that whole concept, what your title of your book is, Elite? Yeah, I think it's important for us to realize um like, look out your window, you see the trees, you see everything that's out there. <clears throat> every organism that you're looking at, in fact, every organism on this planet is either growing or dying. Nothing is staying the same. There is no status quo. There is no normal. You're either improving or in decline. You are growing or you are dying. Mm, right? Yeah. So just realize that <clears throat> make yourself uncomfortable. Growth is uncomfortable, but it's better than dying. Learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. If something's intimidating you today, get out there and do it. It will be one of the best things that ever happened to you, right? That's a common thread of this book. I'm looking at, Hey, here's 13 principles of how to become elite, but it all breaks down to that is we're going to recognize that it's time to grow. We're done dying. We understand there's no status quo. It's one or the other. And we're pushing forward. We're going to be better tomorrow than we are today, no matter what. We're going to improve our situation right now because we can. It's not about tomorrow. It's about right now. Mm. Now, that's something that I've seen across the board from, from Harvard Business School to the NFL, the NBA, uh, the SEAL teams, contracting with a cool agency. You know, I've seen this all the way across the board, man. People are committed to growth no matter the cost. They know it's, it's going to be painful. But you don't want to be right. You don't want to be comfortable. You want to be better. Mm. If you want to get strong, you get to the gym, right? If you want to learn how to play guitar, guess what? You need calluses on your fingers because that's the only way your fingers will be able to withstand the pressure of the strings. Embrace those calluses and get out there and start playing. Sounds like a title for your next book, Embrace the Calluses. Hey, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Forward by Jason Romano. How's that? <laughs> TM. TM. No. Done. You got it. You got it. <laughs> Nick Hayes, this has been awesome talking to you here on the podcast. There's so much more we could do, and we'll have to get you back on and do a second podcast at some point because there's so many other questions and, and angles and different opportunities and different uh, situations that we can get to to talk about. But let's close it with this. We ask this question to all of our guests on the podcast. You mentioned right now, focused on right now. What is God teaching you right now? What are you learning from him today at this moment in the stage that he has you in? Brand new book out, married, three kids, doing great work, consultant work, all this other thing, speaking. What are you learning from the Lord in the season of life that he has you today? Yeah, I love that. I think 
I think God's showing me that um, as much as I love the mountain climb, as much as I love the rocks, as much as I love the adversity, um, I need to learn to enjoy the meadows because mm. the trail takes you to both. Don't take the meadow for granted. And right now I'm sitting, you know, book just released. Everything's kind of fun, but I'm already thinking next. What's next? What's next? Yeah. Give me something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that God's saying, hey, stop and enjoy this, man. Just enjoy this, you know? Yeah. Have, have peace. And that's something that doesn't come naturally to me, but, you know, I'm trying to be comfortable being comfortable. It's <laughs> uh, really good. I think that, that we've, we are all, all especially the, the sports side of people that listen to this podcast and are connected with our ministry. You know, in sports, it's always about getting better. What's next? What's next? What's next? And yet, sometimes you just have to stop and smell the roses once in a while and just enjoy where you are. I love that analogy of the meadow. Nick Hayes, this has been great uh, talking to you here on the show. Let's get you back again uh, sometime. We wish you nothing but the best. Make sure you go out and get his new book, Elite High Performance Lessons and Habits from a Former Navy SEAL. Nick, thanks again for uh, your service to this country and for being here on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you, man. And many thanks to Nick Hayes, the former Navy SEAL, for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Pick up his new book, Elite, High Performance Lessons and Habits from a Former Navy SEAL. Nick Hayes, great guest, awesome guy. What a stud. Just love talking to him. And I hope to get him back here on the podcast and be able to go a little deeper on some some more things that I had on my notes that we didn't even get to. So pick up that book, though, Elite, High Performance Lessons and Habits from a Former Navy SEAL. The book released May 29th. Check it out everywhere books are found. And thanks to Nick for joining us here on Sports Spectrum's podcast. We also want to thank our sponsors, Compassion International, $38 a month. You can release a child from poverty. For more information, go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum, Compassion.com slash sports spectrum and consider sponsoring a child for $38 a month and releasing them from poverty today. And thanks to you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. We really do appreciate you checking us out. There's so much out there that you could be consuming so much good content and then a lot of stuff that just kind of grabs our attention and may not be good for us, but we listen to it anyways. And so I know that our attention spans are, are short and yet you still took the opportunity to listen to this podcast and listen through all the way to the end. We really appreciate that. If this is the first time you've ever listened to Sports Spectrum, we just want to say welcome. We're so glad to have you here. Click that subscribe button. That's really the best way to never miss an episode of Sports Spectrum's podcast. But also, go back and listen. There's tons of content. There's over 300 episodes out there of Sports Spectrum, interviews that we've already done that are really good. And I highly recommend you go back and, and listen to a bunch of those. There's so many good interviews, lots of people with amazing stories and just really the same story when you're talking about sports and Jesus. It's that simple. That's what we try to do. Make the name of Jesus known through the lens of sports. So we just want to, again, thank you for, for listening and taking the time to check out our podcast. Do us a favor and check out our website as well, sportspectrum.com. That's where all of our content can be found, sportspectrum.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time with a brand new episode of Sports Spectrum's podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Love you guys. See you soon.